Amen. Singing God's word is a great way to remember God's word. If you struggle with memorization, as many of us do, singing it is a great way uh, to memorize it and to learn it and to meditate on the truths. God's word is filled with praise and instruction. Last week we uh, um, saw that John, in 1 John, he was addressing some false teachers. And you remember those false teachers said, yeah, I can have fellowship with God, and, but I can live however I want. I can live an immoral life because eh, the flesh is not the spirit. Now my spirit's okay, so it, it really doesn't matter how I live. That was last week. Remember verse 6. If we, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we're not telling the truth. Today, he's going to deal with the next two errors. So we're going to read verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 2. And what we're going to see is this. We're going to see the error... Verse 8 is going to be the second error. Then verse 9 is going to be the Christian antidote to that error. And then verse 10, you're going to see the third error. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you're going to see the Christian antidote for that error. All right? So that's the four parts that we will see today. So let's start reading in verse 8 of 1 John Chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. That's the end of re the reading of God's word. So the first claim, I can have fellowship with God, but live however I want. I can continue just to live in sin and be happy in sin. That was the first error. That's what we saw last week. That was verse 6 and on. Now, here's the second claim, verse 8. They're claiming, I've got a sinless nature. There's no sin anywhere in, in my heart. I don't have a sinful nature. So they are claiming no sin. Really? No sin. Now maybe their argument went something like this. Well, I'm in union with Christ, and Christ is in us. And since I'm in Christ, I'm no longer uh, this old creation that I used to be. And so everything is completely made new. And it's so completely made new, there's absolutely no sin left in my heart. John says, 
that's deceptive, and your own heart is lying to you if you say that, if you believe that. Matter of fact, you could paraphrase it this way. You're in la-la land. It's just not so. Worse, John says, this is evidence of hypocrisy. If you say something like that, he says, the truth is not in them. Oh, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm a new creation. Therefore, I have, there's no sin anywhere in me, in my heart. It's not there. John says, that is false teaching. And guess what? Sin cannot be dealt with by denial. You can't just say it's not there. That doesn't deal with sin. You, you can't deal with it by denial. That's self-deceptive. It's delusional to think, I'm going to deal with my sin and the way that I'm going to deal with it is just pretend it's not there. Well, that's what's taking place. They're claiming they no longer have a sin problem. But the problem is they don't understand the truth. They don't understand how sinful the heart really is. It is a denial of the fact that we are like Adam. That when Adam fell, we fell in Adam. This was the great, historically this was the argument between Augustine and Pelagius. Pelagius said when Adam fell... That was just a bad example for you. So, hey, listen up. Don't be like Adam. You, you're your own person. Just don't be like him. And he denied any idea of original sin, that we are all born into sin. But John says, no. If you say you do not have a sin nature, you're not telling the truth. You're lying to yourself. So... How then do you combat that? How do you, what's the antidote for that problem? The antidote is not just to deny sin. He tells us, don't just deny it. Don't deny that you have a, a heart that is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Don't just deny it. No. How should you think about it? How should you think about yourself? Well, he tells us in verse 9, here's the antidote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the proper Christian response to the fact that you're a sinner. Repent. <laughs> confess your sins. Do this. this confession is right in natural in the Christian life. This is what our lives should look like. Confession. That is an ongoing repentance of sin. It's ongoingly. So that's how, that's how you, Christian, need to deal with sin. Repent of it. Confess it. That's what it looks like. The truth of, of his faithfulness and his righteousness to forgive. We go to that time and time again. So repentance, confession of sin, that is a normal part of the Christian life. 
So if you're here and you, you struggle with the besetting sins in your own heart, yours is different than mine, this is what the Christian life looks like. Repent. Don't just deny that it's there. Repent. Confess it to the Lord. Because he is faithful and righteous, and he forgives it. That's the pattern. That's the normal Christian life that John lays out. Now, it's not some exception. Sometimes we treat it that way. Well, once I do something really terrible, I will repent of, my, I'll repent of that, or I'll confess that. No, he says, this is just the proper attitude of every Christian. It's repentance. It's confession. Don't deny that there's sin. Realize it's an ongoing reality. You need to be ready to constantly confess it to God. So the Christian does not claim to be perfect. But we go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's the struggle. Here's where I am. I confess my sin. I repent of it and turn from it. Repentance and confession, they're not something that we do once at the beginning of our Christian lives, okay? Now, when you became a Christian, did you repent of your sin and confess the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. But it's not a one-time deal. You repent and you keep on repenting. You confess your sins and you keep on confessing your sins. It keeps on going. We repent of our sins and we turn to him at the beginning and we continue to repent of our sins and we continue to turn to him throughout our whole Christian lives. This is what the Christian life looks like. That's the proper attitude of a Christian. When it comes to sin, sin in your hearts, sin in your lives, sin that's way down here nobody else knows about, don't deny it. Confess it to the Lord. Confess sins freely. Now, how are we? When you feel the weight of sin, and it is overwhelming, isn't it? When we, when we get serious about our own sins, and we think about our own sins, and we wrestle with it, we know the seriousness of sinning against a holy God. How can you live without being overwhelmed? by that because it could be overwhelming right because if you're like me I pray for I repent one second and then oh sorry I just the next next thing out of my mouth next thought in my mind was wayward how do you live a life of repentance and confession without being overwhelmed well that's the second part of verse 9 he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. Now, that might not be the answer that you were expecting. Though. You might have been expecting something like, oh, well, if I'm to repent, I need to know it's because he is gracious to forgive my sins. Maybe that's what I, I, I want to hear. Maybe that's what I expect to hear. But he does say that. He says he's faithful and righteous to forgive. He's faithful. He's righteous to forgive. So let's just think about that. He's faithful to forgive. What does that mean? 
It means that he has promised in his word, everyone who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will forgive your sins. That's what he's promised. That's what his word says. And guess what? He's true to his word. He is faithful. If that is what he has promised, you can count on it. Uh, he is faithful to his word. He has promised to forgive those who trust in his son. So he is faithful to forgive. So as I'm trusting in his son, that means he forgives me. He will forgive me. He will not withhold forgiving me if I'm trusting in his son. And that's one of the best pieces of news you can ever hear. Why? Because God's own character is at stake in forgiving you. If he has said, I will forgive you if you trust in my son, and you say, I'm trusting in your son, if he withholds forgiveness, it means he's a liar. And he's not a liar. He cannot lie. So his own character is at stake here. He is faithful to forgive. I want to say, pause there. If you're here and you're not a Christian at all, don't miss what we just said. He is faithful. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you have done. I don't care any of it. He is faithful to forgive. And he promises as you trust into Christ, you come to him, he'll forgive you. And you don't have to say, well, I'll come to him and I'll trust in Jesus, but boy, I sure have to do all these things for him to accept me. No, he will forgive you because of what Christ has done. He's faithful to forgive. His, his word, you can trust him. You can trust him. He, he will do what he says. Don't deny your sins. Confess them. Trust. Trust, know that he is faithful to forgive you because he has promised that he would do that. What's the second part, though? He is righteous to forgive. Now, that's where we're, we might be, what? Right? I think of righteousness, I think of wrath. And he is. He is a righteous judge, right? He is, he is righteous. He is a just judge, and, and he is that. But we're told he's also righteous to forgive. Maybe it's a bit strange. Why would he say that? Romans chapter 3 makes it perfectly clear. God's gospel is a gospel of righteousness. The gospel is a gospel of righteousness because of this. God is not just taking your sins and swept them under a rug somewhere. He hasn't just oh, pushed them aside. That's not how God dealt with your sins in the gospel. He dealt with our sins. How? By laying the punishment that is due our sins on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for all those who trust in Christ, their sins are forgiven. They're covered. The wrath that we deserve, the, the, the wrath that deserves to be poured out on us, God poured it out on Jesus Christ. And if God has forgiven our sins through placing that penalty, the penalty of those sins on Christ, it would be wrong for him to revisit that and say, oh, you're trusting in Christ? 
Christ paid for those sins? Well, I'm going to make you pay for them too. That would be unrighteous. It would be wicked. And he is not wicked. He's marvelous and merciful and kind. Do, do you see how glorious this truth is, friends? It is absolutely impossible for God to visit us in wrath if he's already paid for the penalty of our sins in Christ. And you're in Christ? You, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? He preached, uh, Brad preached the other night. He, he hasn't suspended our debts. He hasn't just kind of uh, pushed them aside to a later date to bring them back up. He has liquidated them in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we go to him. We confess our sins. We, it continues to be an ongoing reality in the Christian experience. We go, and we go in humble confidence. Not presumption, but humble confidence. Because he promised to forgive those who trust in Jesus, and he has liquidated the debt that we owe because Jesus has taken care of that. He is faithful and he's righteous to forgive. We know the seriousness of our sins, don't we? Our thoughts, the things that are in our hearts. We tremble at the thought that we sin against a holy God. And in the greatness of his love, as we saw in Sunday school today, he demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we cried to him, Father, forgive me. Forgive me because of your promise. You've said you would forgive. And you're true to your word. And because of your son, you've already dealt with any any penalty, any debt. Forgive me because of your promise and because of your son. And so, friends, you don't need to pretend, do you? You don't need to pretend like, oh, no, 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 sin's not a problem for me. No, we confess it, we repent it before a holy God, a God who is too pure to look upon evil. We believe his promises of mercy. You know, some people, they, are, they do know they're sinners, but they try to deal with those sins some other way. We are guilty of this all the time. Some people try to pretend their sins aren't there. Some people try to hide them. Some of us in this room try to hide our sins because we would not want anyone else to see them. But you know that God sees them. You can't hide them. You can hide them from us, each other, but you can't hide them from him. And if you do not deal with your sins the way the Bible says to deal with them, they haven't been dealt with. They remain, and they will come back time and again. There's no place you can go and bury it and get away from it. It can only be dealt with the way that God says to deal with it, in Christ. John says this is the attitude of the Christian. If you realistically look at sin, if you look at our own lives, 
then accept the way that God says to deal with sin in our own lives. So, it's quite a contrast, right? One side says, I just deny that I ever I have any kind of sin nature. John says, no, no, confess our sin. That's the antidote. Don't pretend. Confess our sinfulness. Lay it before the throne of grace, realizing that God has dealt with it in Jesus Christ. Now, you might be sitting there, you might say, well, that kind of confused, because I, I always thought when I repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus Christ that he took my sin and he cast as far as the eastern and the west, it was all gone. Why in the world would I keep on confessing sin? Why would I keep on repenting? Isn't that a little bit morbid? Well, that's a good question. The Bible says five things to that, at least. I'm just going to walk through them really quickly. First reason why we continue to repent, you, as a believer, you will never have a divine sense of God's forgiveness until you repent. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 32? He says, when I was silent about my sins, my bones waxed old. He felt God's displeasure on him when he's walking in the darkness. He wasn't confessing his sins. Then, Psalm 32, he continues, But when I confessed my sins, the Lord restored me. When I confessed them, he restored me. We confess our sins. Friends, you know, when you remain in your sin and you're out of joint, you're out of sorts, something's not right, you can't just pretend that away, no, 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 confess it. It's like having a fracture set. He fixes it. He'll make it well. You won't be dogged by un, uh, unresolved guilt. Second thing, Bible says that believers, even though we're united with Christ, we still sin. We see that over and over again in the Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 12, for example, Paul says... This is people who are in Christ. He says, don't let sin be a master over you. Don't let sin be a master. That's what he's telling church people. Don't let sin be a master over you. A congregation needs to hear, don't let sin be a master over you. Emmanuel Baptist Church, you are in danger of sin being a master over you. Hear that. And so he tells Christians, don't let that happen. From beginning to end in the Bible, believers, those who believe in the Lord, they believe in the Almighty, they've been forgiven, their sins are forgiven, they struggle with sin. So think about Abraham. Think about David. Think about Peter, right? Peter's a great example of that. Peter says, right, Lord, I, I would die for you. And he does die for Christ, doesn't he? He lays down his life for the sake of Christ. He, he's martyred for Christ. But along the way, Peter messed up a lot. So, think about that. Before the crucifixion, Peter denying he ever even knew Jesus. Cursing. I don't know him. You sound like the people that run. No, 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 no. Cussing and denying that he knows Jesus. And you say, well, that's before the day of Pentecost. He didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him yet. Well, let's go after Pentecost. There was a day after Pentecost, 
when the Holy Spirit is indwelling Peter, he's gathered with some Jewish Christians in Damascus. And he will not eat with the Gentile Christians because he's afraid of what the Jewish Christians would think of him. And Peter rebukes him, Paul rebukes him to his face. This is Peter. Peter loved the Lord Jesus. Peter ends up dying for the Lord Jesus. He was a sinner in need of grace. Was he united to Christ? Yes. Did he still sin? Yes. Can the believer, all believers, do we still struggle? Yes. So be realistic with it. This is Luther's great line, right? I at one time, the same time, justified and a sinner. That's who we all are. If you're a believer, that's who we are. Third thing, repentance is not a one-time past action situation for the Christian life. 1 John 1, 9, he is talking not, not to unbelievers. So he's not saying, hey, you pagans, confess your sins for the first time and you'll be forgiven. He's saying here to Christians, if you confess your sins. If you do that, the same people he calls children, little children, brothers and sisters in Christ, confess your sins. Repentance is ongoing. Jesus makes that clear. Remember uh, Revelation chapter 2. He's writing that letter to the church in Ephesus. Remember what he says to the church in Ephesus? Repent and do the things you did at first. That's what he says to the church. Fourth reason. Repentance is ongoing. Our sins are always displeasing to God. Always displeasing to him. When we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Jesus took the wrath of our sins upon himself. And we need not bear, bear that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But our sins are still displeasing. And so in the Christian life, this is called discipline. It's never to satisfy his justice. That justice has been dealt with in Christ. But our sin, when I sin, it's still displeasing to him. And so as long as sin exists, that sin, he's never going to say, oh, I don't care about that. No, no, it's displeasing to him. And so I repent of it. But you know what? In glory, there comes a day... But he's going to remove all sin from us. All of it. I'm going to be like his son one day. But until that day, until he does that, we will continue to, uh, to sin. And he'll be displeased with our sin. Why? He hasn't made you for that. And so, we confess it. And finally, what's the end goal of your salvation? This is why you keep on repenting. What is the end goal of your salvation? It's not just to escape hell. It's not a, to rescue you from hell. The ultimate goal of our salvation is holiness in the glory of God. That God, through saving us, he does rescue us from hell, and he makes us to be like his son morally, like his son, so that one day God intends for me to have a clean conscience, not just because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus, but because I've been transformed. I've been transformed from the inside out. This is called sanctification. 
And it's taking place. And one day that sanctification process will be over. And it will be perfected. And you know what that's called? Glorification. We'll be glorified. We'll be like Christ. Morally. You won't sin anymore. That's good news. You should rejoice at that. We'll never Imagine that. You'll never sin again. Imagine that. Until that day, we confess our sins. We keep on doing it. So, the false claim they have no sin nature. The antidote for that, repent and confess your sins. Third thing. Well, I can no longer sin. So now they're saying, I, I don't have any actual sins. Like, I am no longer actually sinning at all. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So this error is in many ways the biggest error because when you say you don't ever sin, actually, you're saying God's a liar. You hear that? First claim was, I can have, say I have fellowship with God, but live like a pagan. Second claim, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't have a sin nature anymore. Third claim is, well, I've actually stopped sinning altogether. I never sin. And John says that's an assault on the truthfulness of God. You're saying God is a liar if you say that. When I lived in Springfield, uh, we went visiting. Uh, there was a godly man named Ray Pratt. Uh, Ray Pratt was a wise man. And we were visiting. We were in the home. And one gentleman uh, told Ray Pratt, I have not sinned in seven years. Anybody in here like that? Johnny? How's that? No, me neither, brother. Seven years. I've never sinned. Now, Ray Pratt was witty. He said, well, first off, you just did. Second thing, can we call your wife in here? But John goes one further. You just call God a liar. You make God out to be a liar by saying that you don't sin. The Bible says that we are sinners. And even as believers, we still sin. Don't believe me? Look at Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 24. There, these Christians, these Ephesus uh, believers in Ephesus, they are told, put off the old self, the way you used to put, keep on, put it off and put on this new man. It's ongoingly. It's not just a one-time deal. I'm constantly, I'm, oh, that's how I used to live. I've got to put it off i got to put on this new man. This is how I should be living now. Put off the old self. This constant action. Believers strive. By the Spirit, we strive against sin. J.C. Riles said the Christian life is a holy violence. A conflict a warfare, a fight, a soldier's life, a wrestling against sin. Fighting sin is a daily battle. And you're not in that battle alone, Christian. 
You're not in that battle alone. Now, I should pause there. Are you in that battle? Are you fighting sin? You should. Remember Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, where Jesus says that the kingdom is taken by violence. You You want to see the kingdom? You fight. You fight. I I love that picture in Pilgrim's Progress, right, of the valiant man. He's not going to be kept out of the kingdom. And so he hacks and slashes and fights, and nothing is going to keep him from the kingdom. Don't let anything keep you from the kingdom. You fight sin. It is a warfare. It is a battle. It is a constant battle to fight against sin. For the Christian... Remember Hebrews 12? Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You hear that? Praise to Jesus? Yes. Did you also hear the besetting sin? Cast it off. Cast it off. Fight it. Don't let it cling to you. Fight it. And Christian, there was a time, wasn't it, that we were under the dominion of sin? I mean, everything we did, we sinned. I could not not sin. Sin was my master. But when I came to Christ, sin is no longer my master. I'm not under the dominion of sin. God fixes my desires and my heart, my will. He fixes those things. It's it's not reigning over me anymore, but the Bible says this. It's still there. There is remaining sin, and you keep on fighting that remaining sin. You keep on fighting it. You're no longer bent that way. You, you, you don't have to sin, but there's still sin remaining. So you fight it until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will make us like himself. And we are growing. Christian, we're growing in holiness. We're growing. This is sanctification, but it's not perfection. It's not perfection. We take holiness. Holiness is serious business. Holiness is very serious. We do not make light of it. But sin is going to always dog us. And the moment I think, ah, I got my sins licked, it's going to be at the door. It's probably already crept in. It's around the corner. But here's good. Sin is not going to have the last word. Sin in your heart and life, it's not going to have the last word. It's not. So don't say sin doesn't matter. And don't say just, well, who cares? And don't say, well, the Christian life, there's no need to fight against sin anymore. Because I've got a victory over sin. Jesus defeated. Therefore, I don't have to war against it anymore. John says, no, no, no. Both of those things are wrong. Those things are errors. 
Those are errors. That is not what the Christian life looks like. And then he tells us, here's how to definitively deal with that in chapter 2, 1 and 2. And we're going to do that next week because <laughs> it's 10 after. But let's read it. You want to know, here's the, de here's the definitive answer for sin. My children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Unbeliever, do you hear that? The only hope for you to be forgiven of your sins and to have a right standing before God is through Jesus Christ. Christian, do you hear that? You struggle with guilt, shame. You don't know how to get rid of it. You don't, you've been fighting sin, but you're not sure how to fight it. Look to Jesus. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, the sins of the whole world. Set your eyes upon him and know that in Christ we have an advocate with the Father. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you. So help us, help us to think biblically about sin um, in a world that uh, doesn't like to speak of such things and even in churches that don't like to think about sin and even... In our own hearts, Lord, we many times would rather deny or pretend it's not there. Lord, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the salvation that comes to us in Christ. So, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, may we stop trying to cover our own sins and deal with them in our own ways. Lord, may we rest and trust in your covering and your provision of sin. And Lord, would you fill our hearts with great anticipation for that glorious day when Jesus comes and we'll be made like he is. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.